Welcome back to Fathoms, <laughs> an Enneagram <laughs> podcast, <laughs> where we have the time of our lives. Um, I owe it all to you, <laughs> friends. We uh, we uh, we just wrapped up um, a four-part series on race, and we had on some absolutely brilliant. If you listened along with us, some absolutely brilliant um, guests. Uh, we're so grateful. Um, yes. to learn from and to listen to and share with you all. And our guests uh, for this this four we, this four part series. Who did we have on y'all? We had Jessica, Danielle, Chichi, Doctor E. Yeah, yeah. And who was your favorite? No, <laughs> don't make me choose. <laughs> no, they were they were all really great. And I mean. Anytime you enter into a conversation like this, it's always like, what's going to happen? Because, like, yeah, we have an idea of where we want the conversation to go, but we want to leave space for, like, the the gold to emerge. And I really feel like it it went it went places I didn't expect, and it went better than I expected. Yeah. I feel like we hit some really important spaces and defined some terms and some really full ways that. Are really helpful um, and it's been great to hear y'all's feedback on it and how much you've enjoyed this series in particular this this section in particular and I, I just remember uh, learning things hearing things I'd never heard before kind of having some aha moments some moments of, of things that were you know separate that kind of came together with some insights uh, and wisdom that was shared just even this this concept that that Jessica talked about of socialization uh, and one of my favorite moments was uh, just unexpected when uh, Chi Chi turned turned the tables on us mm-hmm. and had us mm-hmm. share um, the ways in which we participate, in which we use our armor um, as a hindrance without knowing it. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just it was a really great practice, I think, in the moment to to locate locate that in in myself. You know. Yeah, mm-hmm. I felt. That was one of the moments I want to discuss too, because I actually felt really vulnerable in that moment mm-hmm. and actually kind of embarrassed to mm-hmm. sort of be uh, exposed in that way. But I think it's I think it's all part of the work. It's all part of of the process we have to yeah. go through. So what what were there any moments that you mm-hmm. guys really felt kind of surprisingly exposed or more vulnerable than you kind of anticipated? I mean, sure. During that that part, it's, it just it got personal for sure, and had to really take an, an evaluation of where just my learning process, and that oh no, I don't have this all figured out, and I'm still learning how to how to better yeah. position myself in relation to others. And we, I mean, we've talked about this before. I know we talk about this a lot on the Awareness to Action podcast, but but self awareness, we we miss the part of of how we affect others and how others view us. Mm -hmm. We think self-awareness is just about attending to my emotions, but equally it's how you affect others Mm -hmm. and how other people view you. And that's just, that's a new sort of muscle that I've been continually cultivating because I think it's equally, if not more important on some level um, in order to operate well in this world. Adaptively, one might say. Adaptively, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's just um, the nature of these kinds of concept or the conversations is one in which you you must be kind of willing to 
admit to some things and expose yourself um, and, and name uh, internally and potentially out loud how I've been complicit, you know? And mm-hmm. I just think the nature of these kinds of conversations are one in which we are practicing what it means to um, maybe even you could say feel some kind of healthy shame, uh, which is I am limited and um, I don't know. <laughs> and I've, uh, you know, played a role in that on some level. Yeah. Um, and however I specifically have done that. But but yeah, just the nature of addressing the truth behind um, systemic issues and injustice and racism in the world. If that is true, which we which we really do think it is, then then there's a role in which we need to name those things. There's, we have a responsibility to do that, yeah. you know? I think, too, it's, it's important to take what you're saying and specifically apply it to Enneagram spaces because the truth of the matter is that people are, have been and continue to be harmed mm-hmm. in Enneagram spaces. And that's difficult to think about because especially for those of us who have been so moved by this work and this tool to think that there are people who are having really traumatizing experiences is, is something we really need to let sort of sober us and think about how to move forward. Yeah. I remember part of the conversation with Chi Chi addressing where we, where she said, that's not my work Mm -hmm. in her book and how minority identities are wearing vulnerability more so on their sleeves. Mm. Um, and so just simply asking or, or telling people like with, with the, the type eight, just you have to just be vulnerable mm-hmm. or asking anybody to you know, be vulnerable who, who has, you know, is a person of color or, or a minority identity. It's, it's, it's such a insensitive mm-hmm. uh, request. Uh, and yeah, just that being exposed and that uh, coming to to light for me was uh, really eye opening. Uh, just another observation: we're not going in any particular order necessarily, but I, I think the critiques that we often throw at the Enneagram is is how often simplistic and people rail against how it boxes you in mm-hmm. and how it is not completely accurate all the time. And, and like it, and this is at least for me, this was a very specific example of how the Enneagram falls apart when it becomes stereotypical. Mm-hmm. And actually these the critiques that um, these ladies were offering was actually calling you beyond the stereotype and actually how the person expresses the type, if you mm-hmm. refer back to our yeah. prototype, archetype, stereotype episode. And so, yeah, I remember when I first heard someone say like, uh, like like the Enneagram doesn't only works for white people. Like there was something that uh, that felt mm. really like, wait, wait, well, if it doesn't work for white people, or if it, if it only works for white people, then it doesn't work. Right. Like that's, right. that's right. so like, but I was really, really thankful and just, just really happy to see how that sort of conversation evolved with all four of them of like, you're right. If it only works for white people, it doesn't work. And so this is how it actually works in different cultures and let's get down a few layers and then, oh, okay, there it is. That's how it all ties together. Yeah. Yeah, And I think it's worth noting, like we're specifically talking about the American experience of Enneagram because, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been in, in training and certification programs where 
there are people present from all over the world. And so diversity in those spaces is not really, is not really as much of a question. And I think if you were to try to have this conversation with people on the other side of the world, it'd be a completely different conversation. So we're specifically talking about the ways that American culture is informing Enneagram spaces and being expressed in Enneagram spaces and, and what we need to do about that. And I'm sure there's blind spots in every yeah. culture on some level, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, th- specifically just the the black and whiteness of U.S. culture, mm-hmm. <laughs> both racially and and ideolo- I- ideologically, mm-hmm. ideologically, um, is just very apparent in how it expresses itself on the Enneagram. So, yeah. uh, Drew, how about you? What uh, about this series has been really impactful for you? What What have you learned? Yeah, so much. I think um, reflecting on the four long form episodes that we released in this series, I think trying to you know consolidate all of my thoughts and lessons into some sort of coherent set of themes is really difficult. But mm-hmm. you, probably a few things that come to mind are uh, a we still have a lot more work to do. I think it it's tragic that. The fact that uh, we have this framework, this resource called the Enneagram that's supposed to be really helpful. And we heard instances throughout the series that it, if not used appropriately, and if not used with uh, the collective in mind, and if not used with minoritized groups in mind, then it can often be harmful. And I think that's that's really sad and tragic. So we have more work to do. And the Enneagram community is not necessarily any more enlightened in this way. And, you know, we're a part of that community. So we are not necessarily more enlightened uh, on these matters than those who have no idea what the Enneagram is, right? And so we, so we definitely have more work to do. I think um, another thing that I'm struck with is that, you know, we had four brilliant Enneagram teachers join us to share their Enneagram insight and also share their perspective on race. And they all had different angles of wisdom and insight to provide for us, Mm. right? Mm. Whether it's, you know, socialization with Jessica, you know, that concept of, and the importance of understanding socialization and the impact that has on the Enneagram is so important, right? Or uh, these ideas of intersectionality and privilege that we talked about with Danielle, um, really really profound stuff or uh, Chi Chi's approach to understanding the, our Enneagram type as our armor, right. And how uh, that can protect us, but also limit us. And then of course, th- this idea of the platinum role with Dr. Egerton, um, I think is really profound and calls us to something far more or a far higher standard than maybe what we've strived for in the past. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing you say there is, just just as we can like it's easy to reduce this just this idea of racism or whatever into a very well here's the solution what we're right. what we're doing is we're drilling down on this idea of racism or scapegoating actually again we're that's what we're trying to do in this season is complexify these ideas to the point where you're like wow there's so many different angles there's so many different things that we need to be aware of and it can become very overwhelming of course but that's when we just need to come back to, like, I forget who it is. I think it's St. Augustine who said, love and do what you want. <laughs> and 
like just as long as you're leading with love and you're being self-aware um, and you're you're being curious and and humble like this a lot of this stuff I think will work mm-hmm. itself out event well hopefully eventually right <laughs> yeah I I think it can be overwhelming and I think uh, hopefully we didn't contribute to uh, complicating the conversation unnecessarily, but rather complexifying, <laughs> complexifying, <laughs> but, uh, is that a word complexifying? I, yeah. I, I don't know. For me, <laughs> I, I see complexifying as like, as, as a good thing, complicating, not I so see, much. I see. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I would even maybe look at it a slightly different way to say that we maybe uncovered or acknowledged mm-hmm. the complexity of the conversation in a way that I hope, at least for me, this is what I'm taking away, and I hope others as well, that it it reveals to me that there's so much more for me to learn, so much more growth and development that can happen for me, which should foster a sense of humility, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I leave this series with a sense of humility that I still have work to mm-hmm. do. Yeah to better understand, to better come alongside, to better support, to better amplify uh, on this matter. And uh, that's not to say that there isn't good work for us to do because uh, I think we can continue in good faith to continue to do good work and be proactive and uh, advocate in those things. But along the way, you know, I, I have a healthier sense of, okay, there's a lot for me to still learn mm. and, and grow in, in this space. Yeah. There's the work of the individual, like behind the scenes, right. Educating ourselves and, and listening to voices that we're not accustomed to listening to or platforming Mm -hmm. in our, in our own ears. And then there's the work that we have to do collectively as a community to begin to have these conversations and make decisions and make intentions to to move forward together differently. And then there's also like the in the moment, I'm in a situation right now where I have the opportunity to respond to someone who's who's bringing this issue to me and they're saying like, I don't feel represented here or I don't feel like you spoke kindly, uh, you know, or, or something like that. And the, those are the moments where like the behind the scenes work gets, even if it's like, you know, Jessica was talking about like nervous system regulation. Yeah. That's so important to this work. And it took me some time to figure out, like, I can hear her talking about it from the perspective of why it's so important for, um, for BIPOC individuals to, to do that somatic work. But it's important for us too, because we're going to be in situations Mm -hmm. where we're confronted with our own prejudice our own racism Mm -hmm. and we're Mm going to be dysregulated in those moments. And so we have to be able to be resilient so that we can show up for people who are being brave enough Mm -hmm. to tell us, here's what I need. Yeah, It it makes me think of kind of like shrinking it down to a little bit more because I think it's sometimes it's hard for um, people who are white to like, it's like, well, I didn't enslave anyone. Right. 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 But that's, it's like it's kind of taking that idea to an extreme on some point, but think of it in the respect of when you're in relationship with someone and you unintentionally hurt them, right? It's kind of hard to 
at least for me, it's kind of hard to apologize because I'm like, I, I'm not, I didn't evilly intend to do you harm, but I did affect you in mm-hmm. a way that I did not intend and that's legitimate. And so in this, in this way, like in some ways we've, we all have unintentionally, hopefully not intentionally, um, participated in some sort of like racism or ostracization or scapegoating or, or something along those lines. And, and it's just our job to kind of own up to that and be like, no, oh, my, my intentions were not yeah. to ever minimize anyone's experience. But absolutely, I've, I've done that. And, sure. and I need to be responsible for the way I've, I've affected people. It reminds me of that you know, encouragement you provided at the last debrief episode when we were setting up the series Creek where you said, hey, if you're tired of this conversation, please listen. Right. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. I think one of the things I, I still worry about even now that we've completed this four part series is that people will look at the titles if they, you know, have the subscription downloads coming into their feed. Right. And say, and it, it becomes then the classic Rorschach test of, well, I've already got that figured out. I'm an ally, right? Mm. I'm an anti-racist already. Or there they go again being woke, right? <laughs> you know, either or. Right. Like, and then what happens then no one listens, right? When no one listens and learns when we make those snap judgments. So I do hope that if there are people out there who are listening to this particular episode and haven't listened to all four episodes just because they didn't have time or they thought, all right, I've got it, right? Please do go back and listen yeah. because it, it participating in the conversations was so helpful for me, and I I think it would be for others. Yeah, uh, me and my housemate were talking last night, and we were we were talking about the term of being an ally, and how often it's it's trying to remove yourself from the group that is quote unquote doing the bad thing, and aligning yourself with the group that is actually causing or actually experiencing the suffering Mm -hmm. so that you don't have to own up in the ways that you've participated in that suffering. And if you are an ally and you don't feel like you have any work left to do, then that's some level of bypass. Mm -hmm. You're bypassing something, right? Mm -hmm. Because, because you're reducing a population or an idea to something that is manageable so that you don't have to be confronted with the ways that you still have work to do. Absolutely. And 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 I think And in so doing we expose our privilege because we can, you know, oof, we can, yeah. come yeah. on, Drew. Yeah. That was great. So we can afford to, you know, we have the luxury to be able mm-hmm. to do such bypassing. Right. And this is this is in some ways a precursor to a theme that we're going to be talking about later in the season uh, with Dr. Kristen Beasley of the identity of victimhood, which mm. should be a really, really interesting conversation buckle up yeah yeah buckle up folks it's gonna be great so can i piggyback off that idea of bypassing because something that came to me when i was thinking about and re-listening to dr e's episode was how the enneagram is such a great tool for shifting from the golden rule paradigm to the platinum rule paradigm right i think that that's a brilliant concept but i don't want us to start using like studying the Enneagram on our own as a way of bypassing, like actually having conversations with people because, you know, you can't just go watch like a couple of Instagram reels 
from your favorite like Instagram Enneagram content creator and be like, oh, I understand fives now. I know how to love them mm. like they want to be loved. Because if you were trying to love me and you wa- went to Instagram and just read everything about the Enneagram too, you would be getting it wrong left and right. Because like none of that content do I read. And I'm like, that is so mm. me, you know? So like we cannot bypass yeah. the actual yeah. messy part of, you know, having conversations and and being willing to say like, do you feel loved? Am I loving you as you want to be loved and treating you as you want to be treated? So whether that's between Enneagram styles or, you know, white people trying to love our black siblings better, like we just have to, you know, I heard uh, Vern- Vanessa Fernandez say recently, like, we are asking for something messier in the Enneagram community mm-hmm. than what you're giving us. Yes, we are asking for the mm. mess. Sure. And yeah. I, I just think we have we have to be willing to do that. Yeah, I love that. So as I was listening to to our episodes again, I started to kind of make a list of some things that we can start doing right away to sort of shift shift the conversation and 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 start to have some better practices. So and these are these are for these are suggestions for us white people, okay? <laughs> of how we can do better in Enneagram spaces. So if here's one one thing I've learned from anti-racism work in general is that if there are people in your workshops or in your trainings who hold some sort of decentered identity, offer them the opportunity to speak first call on their hands first, call on BIPOC women first, and offer them the opportunity to share their experiences before anybody else. Go to trainings by non-white Enneagram teachers. Sign up for their workshops. Sign up for their certification programs. If you're teaching a workshop, I mean, I feel like this is a good practice in general, um, but especially if a person of color is, is present And you get done sharing about sixes, for example, you can say, has has anything that I've said not resonated with any of you who identify as sixes? Would you be willing to share your experience with me? What, how could I say this better? You know, I think that that's a really simple way to invite people into the conversation about themselves. I heard Jessica say this recently, just believe people. A lot of times in the Enneagram community, we condescend people if we think that they don't understand as much about their type as we do. And that can have Mm. a really, really traumatic impact on people because you are the only expert on your experience. So we have to practice believing people when they tell us that we've gotten something wrong. Like you don't need several trainings on the Enneagram to know your story and to know your wounds, and to know when something is being said in a workshop or a training that is really hitting you the wrong way. And so honor people when they're brave enough to speak up and advocate for themselves and to share their stories with you. Thank them and be humble. And I think the last thing is just be prepared to make mistakes. Be prepared that that it's messy Mm -hmm. work and you're going to get it wrong and you're going to offend somebody. And so just be willing to apologize. One thing I would I would add to this is all of that is based out of beginner's mind 
mm-hmm. and being just insanely curious that even if you don't, let's say you know someone really well and they're saying something that you're like, I'm not sure you're seeing that clearly. That doesn't mean that their experience of that thing is invalid. So first let's right. validate that experience and then continue to be curious with them, not against them Yeah. in exploring the nuances of whatever it is that you're talking about. Yes. And that's where learning can happen. Like we know that we can't learn when we're dysregulated, when our nervous systems are in fight or flight, right? So validating feelings, validating experience is the fastest way to get us both out of that fight or flight state so we can actually hear each other. Yeah. Validate. And that's, validate. <laughs> and that's, I mean, honestly, that's what the, that's what the Enneagram is pointing to is that there's this inherent logic in all of us that, and when we, when we see the other person, we don't understand their logic. It's because they're operating from yes. a different logic yes. and this is okay. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to fully understand someone to validate them or agree with them. <laughs> you don't have to fully agree with them to validate their experience and their feelings. Absolutely. Uh, obviously there's, there's an infinite amount of things we can still be talking about on this subject, but what I'd like to do is highlight our next theme, which is chronic illness. We decided that we wanted to have some conversations with people who struggle with chronic illness because if you love someone who's chronically ill or you yourself are chronically ill, you know that this has a huge impact on how you see yourself, especially if, you went, if you've gone through life for a certain number of years not experiencing that illness and you've come to know yourself in certain ways or even taken the Enneagram before your chronic illness Mm -hmm. um, diagnosis was given or diagnoses in a lot of cases. And so we feel like illness and suffering has a lot to do with our internalized identities um, and then how those identities can, can shift out of necessity because we're experiencing something that we didn't choose. And it's really difficult. It's very complex. So naturally, something mm-hmm. complex fits perfectly into this podcast and to this season. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, and it's and it's something in relation to what we what we just talked about, right? It is something that is not talked about often enough, yeah, and has layers of complexity, and it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. because, especially with chronic illness, it's 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 reminding us of our frailty. Yeah. It's reminding yeah. us that we're not in control. And that's terrifying. Yeah. And so welcome to Fathom, where we like to <laughs> be terrified. <laughs> there we go there. Yeah. That's our new tagline. Yes. Come be terrified with us. <laughs> welcome to Fathom Enneagram Podcast, where we are terrified. <laughs> Constant uh, state of panic-stricken yes. fear. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And I think it's also worth noting that uh, you know, we haven't been explicitly or directly talking about the Enneagram. A whole lot this season. There's some intentionality behind that. I think uh, in some ways we wanted to uh, really unpack this conversation on personhood. And it certainly has intersections with our Enneagram type, but at the same time, a lot of the languaging around type can be limiting, right? And mm-hmm. can cause us to stay at uh, too much of a surfacey level. And then second, uh, I would also maybe argue uh, from a slightly different perspective that we are talking about the Enneagram just without using the language as much. So, yeah, you know, as we try to find 
good and creative ways to continue the conversation on race. I hope you'll join us uh, for this conversation on chronic illness and how that impacts, enhances, explores, complicates, you know, our understanding of personhood because uh, we have some really good, I think, conversations uh, coming your way. So I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time. Truthwork Media Studios.